Welcome to Jazz Office Hours. I'm your host, Will Chernoff. Happy New Year 2023. I'm not here with Corey Weeds today, but I'm actually going to be bringing him to you in highlight form because today we're going to look at Jazz Office Hours Best of 2022. Last year, we didn't do the show for a full year because we only started it during the summer. But we have five full episodes of all new Q&A content that we did from last year that you may have heard some or all of already. We've been putting out one per month. And so I've gone back to each episode and picked one highlight from each of them. That's something that taught me an applicable thing that I used as a jazz musician, something that got me fired up, something that got me curious. I've got five selections to run down for you here to kick off 2023. You may know that Corey does a thing called Jazz at the Bolt, which is happening soon. He's curated a weekend festival's worth of music at the Shadvolt Center in Burnaby. And we're going to come back with an all new episode of Jazz Office Hours together, the first one of 2023 in February. So without further ado, let's get this started. This clip is from episode one. I'm going to play Corey for you and then come back and tell you what it taught me. This clip is only about a minute long. We're going to do them all in this format. I'm going to tee them up, throw to Corey, and then go back after and tell you my reaction. Here's Corey. Myself personally, I'm very concerned about the way still to this day about how I put myself out into the world. Now you have to understand I've reached a level whatever you want to call that level, where I have a different relationship with bookers than somebody just getting out of college. So I usually don't have to go through the whole process. But when I do go through the process, I feel like it's a reflection of me when I send out something that looks good and sounds good. I feel like that booker, whether it's true or not, I don't know, they'll see that I care. And when people come to me with requests, that also means a lot. I look at what they send and how they send it. And to me, it establishes a level of care. So I love that. That's a pretty good Jazz Office Hours mission statement right there. If there's one thing that we're discussing around all the time, trying to figure out how to do better, it's establishing a level of care. That's a very succinct way that he put it, which is why I wanted to grab that one from the back half of episode one there. Now, I applied this pretty much right away after we talked about it. And it sure helped me because, you know, in my dark times, I kind of worried about how hard it was for me to play the kinds of local gigs that I felt were part of my own community. Like I should be playing these gigs with my people in the places where we have hung out over the past decade. But I never really made it happen. And I blamed myself for that a fair bit in different ways over the years. But the opportunity to really put together some care into how I approached them just ended up unlocking the whole thing around the release of my second album, maybe eventually by me, William Chernoff, which came out in October 2022, a couple of months after we recorded episode one of Jazz Office Hours. I booked four gigs. One of them is actually still coming up as of releasing this episode. It's on January 27th at Tyrant Studios, which we will talk about in a bit. The other gigs were at the Tangent Cafe at Frankie's Jazz Club, but booked by Tim Reiner, not Corey. It was part of the After Dark Late Show series. 
and at the second floor gas town where I had played before. But that was actually my first time playing at the Tangent and at Frankie's After Dark. So I got some new gig opportunities based on the way I presented myself. I wanted to go through this process that you just heard Corey talk about. And I wanted all my materials to reflect well on myself. And I put that into play by making sure that if I looked at them from the booker's eyes, does it make sense? Is it coherent? Is there a clear project that I'm pitching? And are there clear materials that I have prepared for these bookers that sound good, right? So I had a new album, so I had new mixes. The people I was playing the gig with were the same people who were on the album. And I had photos of everybody. I had an idea of when I wanted to play around the release of the album. And that's really all you need to get the ball rolling. You just have the basic information lined up and you have the right kinds of materials, that shows that you have a level of care in the process. And I guess before, I was just missing certain pieces. Like, I didn't have the same musicians anymore as I did on the recordings that I was using to pitch. So I just didn't have up-to-date recorded representations of what I wanted to play. I didn't have maybe photos of the band or of the musicians that I wanted to play with. And that just shows that you're not at the standard. You're not currently operating at the standard that would put you in consideration because they get a lot of submissions you know there's a standard and if you establish a level of care about what you do you will meet that standard that's what i learned from that excerpt from episode one okay so this clip is about a minute long once again it's from episode two and Corey compares the different vancouver jazz venues in an interesting way the first venue he's talking about is actually pat's pub which isn't active anymore but was at the time check this out here we go it's not a competitor but you start factoring on all this stuff. Okay, their piano is not as nice as ours. Their sound system is not as nice as ours. Their food is not as good as ours. It's not an, as nice of a place. And again, this is nothing against Pat's Pub. I love what Pat's has done, but you understand. Okay, second floor gas town. Okay, well, first of all, there's no tr there's no quartets there. Right. Guilt and Company. Is that a competitor? Not really, for all the same reasons I've already listed. Frankie's is interesting because we ha our competitors are the weather... Huh. BC Place, Queen Elizabeth Theater. That's our competition. And I'm not saying that because I'm a Lego. Nobody can compete with us. It's not what I mean. Just nobody does what we do. Is Tyrant Studios a competitor? Maybe for a late night. But people go to Tyrant Studios and they go support Tim's shows at the Lido because it's different. Because they want to hang out in a funky, non-traditional jazz venue, hip, hipster vibe that's not what Frankie's is. Frankie's is a dinner club, period. And it's never going to be those other places. Okay. So interesting to those of you who are local, but for those who are not, I'll quickly run through something about each of the places that he named. So obviously Frankie's is Corey's Club, which is kind of the typical 100-ish seater jazz club. It's a real straight ahead room in accordance with Corey's own taste because he's the booking agent there. Pat's Pub was in a pub. It was a pretty large pub and it had, you know, three set afternoon, Saturday afternoon sets of live jazz. It also had a piano. Tyrant Studios is above the historic Penthouse Nightclub in Vancouver. And they've got a piano as well. Very small room upstairs. Definitely like a vintage vibe, like an old small little jazz club. Second floor gas town, you know, very restaurant casual kind of gig. Nice place though. And then you've got Gilton Company or Gilton Co., which is known for a place where R&B and soul musicians and session players 
do gigs. And there's no piano there, and it's a very different sort of atmosphere. You might say like it's younger or it's more about dancing. And then the presentations of Tim Reinert at the Lido in particular, that is a series for younger musicians and maybe larger ensembles like quintets or sextets, not big bands or anything like that, but just bigger than a quartet or a trio. That's his series there. And then he does other ones that are more about the community of improvisers and free jazz, and maybe avant-garde music almost, as opposed to the straight ahead stuff that you would find at Frankie's. And I think the point of this excerpt is mostly just that the level of niching down between venues is bigger than you could ever imagine. Like there are so many distinguishing little features about each venue that you don't even really have to worry about audience conflicts unless you're literally trying to bring the exact same group of people out to different shows. But you're probably not doing that anyways because these venues are each going to appeal to different people. They're going to be at different price points. They're going to be in different areas. Those are some of the things that I think Corey was alluding to in the clip when he said all those reasons I mentioned earlier, he was talking about pricing and how that leads to different demographics and such. So when I played my four gigs recently, I didn't worry too much about, oh, am I overplaying? Is it going to be hard because I'm playing a bunch of gigs in a short period of time? Well, one, I've got an album out. So it's like, now's the time, if ever. I think I go on to say that in the main episode, but also those are just different groups of people. Like I have people I know who would really like to come to the tangent one because I've probably been to the tangent as a fan with those people like dozens of times over the years. It's just like a place that has significance in our lives. And then there'd be people who want to go to the Frankie's Late Show because it's late and it's cool and it's a different sort of thing, right? At 11 p.m. start time, that's a, it's a different demographic. And then, you know, Second Floor Gastown, more of a traditional little restaurant gig, Tyrant Studios, kind of going to catch a lot of the rest of the people now coming up. So we'll see who ends up coming to Tyrant Studios. But really, what I took away immediately from that clip is don't really have to worry about overplaying. Instead, find and appreciate and take advantage of the differences between any given venues. And that can be applied whether you're looking for gigs in your local scene just at different places or all the way up to booking a tour and trying to get the most out of each date. Okay, so this one's from episode three. Apologies about Corey's audio quality. This is about two minutes long. We were talking about recording and I was trying to find out how much recording experience Corey had when he was starting out with the Seller music label. Here's my question to him. So when you started doing Seller Live records on the stage there, like what, what was your experience level leading into that and how much learning by doing did you do none when you got there? i mean none? i didn't have any experience i mean i watch chris gestrin and i watch brad turner do it a little bit but awesome I, yeah I, I didn't yeah i mean i just kind of watched um and that was sort of yeah that's how i did it i love that um, i think people yep. need to hear that yeah i mean you just watch and listen and ask and learn you know and as it turned out for me i realized fairly quickly that i wasn't going to have the uh you know, I wasn't going to have the patience. The attention span. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. To be, Me too. you know, to do that. But that's how you learn. And you just sort of try to start doing it, you know? Okay. So pretty self-explanatory, right? Like Corey was handling live recordings for the seller label. It was called Seller Live Records. And it was at his jazz club, the Seller Jazz Club in the early 2000s. And he had no experience like producing or being involved with audio production at that point. He had just been a performer and a saxophonist. But, you know, 20 years later, there's over 300 albums on Seller Live, I'm pretty sure. And now it's the Seller Music Group and it's this whole bigger thing. So 
what's that skill for you, right? Like that's what I would want to leave you with here. Is there something that you are really curious about or that you want to try that you really see yourself doing and you haven't tried it yet? Because don't give up, right? Like he came in there with no experience and just started doing it, learning from people who were a couple steps ahead of him. And now he's been involved in the making of many, many, many albums, right? So for me, I mean, you could say making podcast episodes was one of those things for sure. Another one would be like, I started out learning how to self-release, like just the same way that a lot of you would, just with like digital music distribution and putting out your own music however you're able to. And then now I work at a small record label and I've learned about it on a different level, but I had to do that first and start from scratch and learn by doing. So I'm a huge believer in the power of learning by doing. That's why I included that one. Okay, so this one from episode four has to do with getting grants or not getting them. And I didn't just include it because Corey says the word that Americans would call routing, the determining of locations on the tour, but also how he dealt with not getting a grant and getting one. Here's Corey. This is less than a minute. I've got a great tour plan. The routing is perfect. I've got a great marketing plan and I've got a great story. Oh, look at that. I didn't get it. The next time I applied, I didn't have nearly as good routing. I didn't have nearly as good a marketing plan. And I got it. And I don't know the reasons. I got it, so I didn't care. And even the one I didn't get, I was like, I was mad. I was really mad. And I, I was like, I want to have an appointment with you. And then I had the jury process. I sat in the jury process. And I'm like, oh, I see what happened here. This is how it works. And so just because you don't get one grant doesn't mean you're not going to get the very same grant the next time. So apply for everything and do it all the time. And it's, a, it's an incredible learning experience. So yeah, okay. I love I love that word rooting. That's so Canadian. I'm going to embrace that fully in terms of Canadian English word pronunciations. I love it. The tu- the rooting for your tour. Let's go. So I I mean I picked that clip. There were actually a few different spots. We talked about this for several minutes in the original episode. And I chose this one not just because of that funny word, but also because I guess it was the most succinct. The concept here that I'm choosing to take away from it. This is a real New Year's resolution sort of one. It's it's one that I want to keep in mind throughout 2023 is you have to know when it's about whether or not you're being picked and when you're actually in the driver's seat. When are you in control about whether or not something's going to happen for you and when are you not? And like the times when you're not, if we can identify which times those are and we tell ourselves, I'm not in control on this one. This is about whether or not somebody else picks me it's going to be kind of a crapshoot in that respect. Corey talked about what it's like to be on a grant jury in episode four. And then what are the other ones? Where do I really have control? Where am I in the driver's seat? What can I do? Because if we separate those out, we're going to save probably a fair bit of anxiety potential, right? Like we're not going to be as worried about feeling like we have to do something to make a difference on the times when we're getting picked. Like we have to establish a level of care. That was the first highlight, right? And we have to do other things in how we conduct ourselves when other people are choosing among many applicants or many submissions. But other than that, it's really up to them, right? Like there's only so much you can do. Focusing on the times when you really are in control versus the times when you're not. And when you're not, when you're applying to be picked, apply as much as you possibly can, right? Like just take shots and some of them will come back and some of them will work. That's about all you can hope for. And that's why I picked that one. 
And finally, from episode five, this is a spicy clip, I guess. We, we use a musician's name, but really it applies to any longtime established veteran local musician. The question is, does that person really have to apply for the jazz festival? Here's Corey. Should Oliver Gannon really have to submit a package? Right. Like Oliver Gannon is one of the greatest guitar players this country's ever seen. His playing hasn't changed in terms of what he does. Does he really need to submit a package? Right. And I guess the answer is yes, because if you want to play the festival, like you have to submit something. So I sort of feel sometimes that, 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 I don't quite know how to deal with that, but I think a lot of times the submission process for a festival goes the same way a club. Why should they hire you? Like, are they going to, is there going to be something that grabs them? Yeah. And that's what you always try to do. But I think a lot of the time with the festival, it's like, okay, like we got to, you know, we've got all of these people. We've got to make sure that we have some female led bands and we've got to make sure that we have this and we've got to make sure we got that. And they're just kind of plugging holes a lot of times. So I think there's some curation. Well, there's very much curation on the top, mid and lower level. And then when you get to the local level, there's some curation that's that's venue dependent. And then it's like filling holes. Um, And that's not to say, I'm not slagging cole or jeremy they're my friends they're they're two of my only friends at coastal you know we made it through all that they do a great job i have no problem with them but i i think a lot of it they will curate as much as they can and then it's like plugging holes like i remember when i worked with ken pickering it was very much like that you know they would the ironwork series and then they'd get their out series and, do, and then it was just sort of like oh we put this guy here plug 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 great we're done Oh, yes. So at the end there, that's the spicy bit I was talking about. I mean, this is Corey's recounting of a story, right? Like where the priorities of Coastal Jazz's programming team are. And the names that he mentioned there are Cole Schmidt and Jeremy Page, the current programmers on staff at Coastal Jazz for the Vancouver International Jazz Festival. Now, there is that question that you can think about after listening to that if you're a local musician trying to get a Jazz Fest gig. Like, am I in the priority area that this programming team will have? That's an interesting question. But what we started out with discussing, like, does somebody as beloved and established as Oliver Gannon need to apply for the Jazz Festival? Corey correctly says, yes, of course, because there's a procedure to this sort of thing. And the procedure is one of the things that makes it so democratic. Like in theory, anybody who applies can get in. But then there's the practical stuff that he ends up talking about where the programming team has priorities. And that's the kind of cliffhanger I'm going to leave you with here because you have to figure out what to do about that yourself. Happy New Year. Those are my five highlights from Jazz Office Hours. Five episodes in 2022. Corey Weeds and I are back with a new episode in February. February.